0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Chit Heads. Today, my guest is Alex Audere, who is a well-respected yoga teacher who has recently opened a studio in Philadelphia, but who spent many years teaching in New York City, where she taught at Kula Yoga Project, as well as her own home studio in the West Village. She's quite well-known for her intelligent classes with deep, mind-blowing adjustments, as well as her incredible ability to, to distill teachings from yoga philosophy in a way that is profound and insightful. Uh, Today, I wanted to talk to her about her extraordinary life. She grew up in the Chelsea Hotel. She also wrote a book about that experience. A little bit about the philosophy of Vedanta, which has really informed her life and her teachings and also her critical ideas on the contemporary yoga scene. So we're going to get into all of those things and probably more. So hello, Alex. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Hi, thanks so much. It took us a long time to get together. It did, it
0: did. I'm so glad we're finally here. So with this interview, I I really wanted to start at the beginning with you because I know you have such an interesting life and I, I think the listeners will be fascinated to hear about it. So I would love for you to talk first about your life um, growing up in the Chelsea Hotel, and, and specifically how you think that experience might have informed your decision to become a yoga teacher, how that experience has shaped your own openness to the teachings and, and events and, and situations that you think are, are significant to that story.
1: Sure. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. Also, just thanks for having me. It's uh, very flattering to Absolutely. be included in your lovely project. Thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah, so I grew up in a hotel called the Chelsea, which was um, I say was also because it's it's changed quite a bit. In the the landlord Stanley Bard, who was really the the, the beacon um, for this particular scene that that gathered and lived at the Chelsea. So it was it was a hotel, but also very residential. I don't know what the real statistics are, but you know probably more than half of the people lived oh, there wow. full time. Yeah, and. Um, well, did anyways, pay, did
0: they pay hotel rates or were they? Yeah, was, well,
1: that's the big thing with Stanley. So um, he would do um, rent in exchange for art. You know, there was a lot wow. of there was also a lot of transient people coming in and out, and. You know, Or you might have owed, as we did, rent for a few months at a time, and you wouldn't necessarily be kicked out. Although there was always a threat. So there's some... Stanley was ousted. It's too long, so I would take the whole interview mm-hmm. to say. I yeah. actually wrote an article about it.
2: Amazing. Um, Where can we find that article?
1: Uh, you know, I'm having a 45-year-old brain problem, so now I can't... The, the magazine doesn't exist, but you can find it. Uh, TAR. T-A-R. Okay. And, um, can it still be
0: found online? Yeah, I okay, can. Okay, I'll put that in the show notes for people okay, to Okay, awesome. Out.
1: Yeah. Good. So... Um, He, the hotel's basically been bought and changed, you know, it's completely turning into the, a product of the issue of the new New York, right, so it's no longer really what it was, but still people that I grew up with do still live there, Mm. who lived in the apartment above me, and it still has a certain element as it was before, but basically Stan, you know, there was still the threat of being kicked out, Stanley was still to us, you know, the evil landlord, Mm. but we had a love-hate relationship with him, as anybody in those days did, and, um... And he, yeah, so it was very much a New York world that I'm sure exists in different levels. Like, I don't like to be that old New Yorker who mm-hmm. constantly says there's no New York. No New York. Yeah. It, of course, people are thriving and there's culture going on. There's amazing things going on. But because it was the 70s. Yeah the 60s, the 70s, and even the 80s, particularly the 80s, because there was still this crazy, you know, underground world in the 80s, mm-hmm. even though New York was being, you know, fucked around with
2: yeah.
1: um, by the powers that be. Yeah. Um, the Yeah, the Chelsea was a gathering place for way back when. It's a landmark building, actually. Um, Thomas Wolfe, Bob Dylan wow. stayed there, wrote songs. Um, uh, Leonard Cohen... Sid Vicious stabbed Nancy there, Um, and then the Warhol scene gathered there, so there's a Warhol movie called Chelsea Girls, and that's how my mother sort of ended up there, because she was an Andy Warhol actress, and so she, you know, it was not like, oh, you go to the Chelsea because of Warhol, it was just very natural, you know, that's just what happened, it happened to be a welcoming place
2: for... Mm
1: that kind of Mm counterculture situation and you know a lot of people say ask me oh were your parents hippies and really not because they were older than hippies and they're very much part of this underground art world Mm -hmm. of New York in the late 60s and 70s that really outliers you know that don't fit into one particular category Mm -hmm. and my dad uh, is a French video artist still working today in Michelle O'Dare and is um super cool guy, yeah. and, uh, and um, we, yeah, so I was born pretty, almost in the lobby of the hotel, my mom was in labor, <laughs> and it's all on video, because my dad is a video artist, which actually...
0: Wait, your birth is on video?
1: Yes, my whole birth is on video, I've watched, I watched it many times, even as a child. Wow. Yes, uh, it gets very complicated, uh, my mother then wrote a book called the baby which is a novel but it's basically a memoir about having me and there's video images of me in the book but my name is emma (laughs) so my my memories get very complicated (laughs) um but it's funny because actually this is i'm glad you asked me about my past because i was thinking about this in the car ride from philly over here thinking Mm -hmm. about what i wanted to talk about and my dad was one of the early, and this isn't me just, you know, blowing smoke up my dad's ass. Mm-hmm. You can look him up and, you yeah. know, you'll find out about this. He was a real fan. He's not super famous in the mainstream art world, although he is getting more and more. Mm-hmm. But basically, he was one of the first diaristic video makers. So he so he was like, we could say, one of the first reality filmmakers <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, because yeah, yeah. he filmed everything we were doing mm. and it was this very casual thing you didn't really think about it It wasn't like oh the camera's on he was just filming it and it was happening which is why my birth is on yeah. tape but we didn't perform for the right, camera right, you know right. it was just like very much everyday life but the everyday life is kind of interesting because it happens to be the warhol scene the chelsea yeah. hotel i mean he did it his whole life so that moved on to other things but mm. so there's a lot of visual images of that time mm. that i can tap into yeah, which is I cool bet.
0: Has has any uh, have any films or documentaries used any of his his content to? Yes,
1: they have. There's there's um because there's probably and, an
0: incredible movie. there,
1: Yeah, right? well, he also made he's constantly making yeah, work. So right. really, his stuff is it, and he yeah. made his own. Narrative movie with all of the images of his whole life, so it's it's always being rehashed and digested in different Mm -hmm. ways. And then there was a documentary on an artist who's now dead, named Alice Neal, an amazing painter. And my dad is in that because he was friends. You know, there's Mm -hmm. you'll find Mm -hmm. stuff in the art world. Yeah. So I I think, um, yeah. So that context that I was brought up in, which you know, is not thing that I did or didn't do. It just was right. That's just happenstance. I happened to be born in that time. Mm Does really inform I think where I'm coming from in terms of being very rooted in a New York countercultural scene. Yeah, for sure. And um, and then getting introduced to yoga when, before yoga blew up and became mainstream. Yeah,
0: before it became a big market and industry. Exactly,
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. Which is what you know interests me, and I have a lot of critical thinking about it. But also, I just think it's also Interesting. Like I like to explore the complexities of that, and again, like I said, not wanting to place myself into this bitter old, you know, bitch saying, you know, New York sucks now, and so does the yoga world. Mm -hmm. I get that the yoga girl, yoga world is ever evolving, and I'm totally into what the youngsters are doing. Like there's this whole, you know new zeitgeist of movement that's not necessarily labeled yoga that's Mm -hmm. being introduced to the yoga world it has a lot of you know the way gymnasts and Mm -hmm. acrobats train Mm -hmm. you know there's these young boys who teach at my place in philly and i'm into it i like it you know the different way of doing handstand you know you don't wrap the shoulders you shrug them Mm. you know what i mean
0: okay
1: are you aware of that that, no you don't oh interesting okay i need
0: to come to work yeah
1: exactly you'll have to come to And I like, you know, I totally like learning from the youngsters and integrating it into my own teaching and practicing it. So I'm not one of those, but I am bitter. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) uh, But if you could describe, you know, and and maybe this is getting ahead of ourselves, but if you could describe, like, three, you know, two or three, like, fundamental differences between the spirit of yoga when it was really couched in this countercultural experience that you're talking about versus today what we're seeing, what, what would you think that those... Few things are
1: okay, that's a good question. Um, so yeah, so I would say that I mean, listen, somebody could laugh at me who's older than me when I say I started, I went to yoga in 1989. That probably sounds so late to some people, mm. right? So let's say if you were one of those first Patabi Joyce guys, you mm. know, going to Miser, okay, you really have it leg up on me, so I'm yeah. giving an exception to that but I'll just talk from my own point of view so when I started practicing in 89 at Jiva Mukti on second avenue between ninth and tenth there were very little yoga you know a Shivananda yoga I think the only teacher training you could do was Shivananda, and I think white lotus existed back then um Ganga white I think I'm not sure if they're still around um and of course Iyengar Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and of course uh Ashtanga yeah I mean, you know, but I don't know if they teacher-trained Ashtangis mm-hmm. at that time. I don't know. Um, yeah.
0: But Jiva Mukti was really, like, the first kind of
1: Americanized
0: yes. brand of yoga that, yes. that sort of moved away. I mean, it was obviously based in Ashtanga. They were originally Ashtangis, but it was the, kind of the first yes. rebranding of yoga.
1: Totally. Actually, they weren't originally Ashtangis. Um, they were Sivananda-trained. Oh, they both okay. went to a lot of David and Sharon... I think, and Eddie Stern both did Shivananda. Mm-hmm. Then, yes, they were very early on introduced to Pata- introduced to Ashtanga, okay. but they were first Shivananda. Yes, but they were like, yeah, the first. I would say you're correct in that the mo- a modern yoga studio, in the sense that they were integrating pop culture yeah. into the more what we now know is not necessarily so ancient, right? right the physical right. yoga, but traditional
0: um, for us, traditional
1: ways. for yeah. us, exactly as well as Vedanta, as mm-hmm. well as the yoga philosophy, um, you, and looked um, modern in the sense that I'll say Sharon wore black eye makeup and, you know, looked sexy, mm-hmm. let's say. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying this in a nice, in a good way. Like, you know, she was gorgeous. Yeah. And they they really were the first to merge, I feel like, this Eastern rooted in India vibe aesthetically
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, in teaching with a modern, more pop culture thing going yeah. on. And yeah. pop culture was different at that time. So, yeah, that was really kind of, to me, when I first went to class, my first class was with Sharon, it was really transformative, really mind-blowing. I, My mom had... Done a lot of yoga. Um, she was briefly in the ashram with uh, Muktananda, oh, which yeah? is yeah, na- city yoga. Yeah. I mean a couple of weeks, but um, uh, and then so I was used to her meditating and doing some asanas, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of uh, she'd play kirtan a lot around the house. But I didn't really associate that when I went to Jiva Mukti for the first time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, with my mother mm-hmm. and to me it, I was really I Was very moved by the phys- the physicality of it was very moving and very challenging to me and yeah. like wow I would how does is that person doing that next mm-hmm. to me? I was always a very flexible person I did a lot of ballet and you know, I was genetically very flexible and when I was in class I was like, oh my god, you know mm-hmm. now that's flexibility when I would see the person next to me, you know, yeah. and um and then, but beyond the physicality, also the spirituality was deeply moving to me. And it's very hard to describe that first experience, mm-hmm. Though what Sharon brought to the table. But she brought this amazing you know, mixture of music and wise speaking and text mm-hmm. and Vedantic theory that really just spoke to me. You know, I, there's, yeah. I don't think there's any real explanation of why some of us are moved by some things and not by others. Totally. You
2: know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I mean, I, I remember it was it was definitely the physical postures that were, first attractive to me, and because I was raised in a in a very kind of, Judeo Christian context, I couldn't actually hear the philosophy for a long time because yes. it sounded like uh, everything was reduced in my mind to. Judeo-Christian understandings of the divine and God. So anytime I would hear, you know, anything that approached talk of the divine, it was like immediate um, repulsion. You know, it took many years to kind of soften in that
1: way. Yes, and it's interesting that you say that because there was, um, they were also er the first people to very... um, blatantly say the word god in mm-hmm, class mm-hmm. and and it was very you know controversial at yeah. times and we were taught you know that we i want to say we had to do this to be a Jivamukti yoga teacher but yeah basically this was and i was full on board which is weird because i too came from a loathing of any organized religion mm-hmm. you know seeing the real violence of my mother's catholic family and yeah. To me, it was absolutely pathetic, and any you know anyone in that to me was an idiot. You yeah, know? Right. Um, but somehow, however, Sharon presented it You're, was on not distasteful yeah. to me at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then yeah, it was very much like oh yeah, so I will. So at that time, to get back to your point, that was very countercultural to actually talk about Vedanta, mm. to get have a Dharma talk in class, mm-hmm. and a lot of people were turned off by it. Yeah. And,
0: and still, kind of are. I mean, yes. But they've also, but that's what they're. That's the niche that they've carved out now is the people who are right. attracted to that. But I mean, there are people that still go to that to, to. I think that studio, or any studio that does dharma talks, and they and and they'll leave. You know. Based oh on yes. That. And and really, the scene is moving very much away from the dharma talk.
1: Exactly. You know, as so we move I would more
0: fitness oriented yoga.
1: Totally, know. and I think that's a good a good through line to continue on what we're talking about because I think that. um for a little while, then it was accepted like I when I opened my first yoga studio in Ryanbeck, I very much did the Jiva mukti method mm-hmm. i and J- Sharon and David came and they gave me their blessing, and I gave a very oh. like you know their blessing to for me to teach mm-hmm. is what i mean but um this is before
0: the teacher training
1: Well, there had been one that i didn 't partake in mm-hmm. uh, and then they were in between, it was either they were in between about to start, I say that they were going to start their second one, and um, then I did that, so before the second one started, it might have been the third, so don't necessarily quote me as fact on that, but um, world, if you're listening, don't quote me. Um, <laughs> um, they. I did it through correspondence with Sharon, like the, all the text of the teacher training and the books, then I taught at the New York studio, mm-hmm. and then when the she, you know, she, I was Sharon was my mentor, and I was sort of her mentee. Is mm-hmm. that the right word? Yeah, um, it is. And so I was given a little bit of a a free pass in mm-hmm. that way, which actually did ruffle some feathers. Mm, um, I bet. Yeah, um, but then I was asked to partake in the the actual training, and that's when we parted ways because you're like, I'm not doing that. Yeah, and I wasn't like, I'm not doing it because I think it's stupid. It was actually more. Time and money, and I had felt I needed to be. I was traveling back and forth from upstate New York I to see. you know, but yes, bas- they were very upset about it. We're totally on wonderful terms now, and it's all fine, but it was extremely traumatic at the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, a lot of tears, a lot of mm-hmm. letters exchanged, okay. you know, because I was I was no longer allowed to use the Jeeva Mukti name, and now it seems so ridiculous, you know, yeah. as time passes. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it was hard.
0: Was that around the time that you found Kula?
1: No, actually, Kula was much later, so really? that was like you know, mid-90s. Mm. And then I had my own yoga studio for like 10 years before I found Kula.
2: Oh, wow. So
1: Kula was really, yeah, just I came back to New York after having my first kid and needed a job and remembered meeting Skylar, not even in the yoga world, really. Um It's a long other story, but <laughs> another long story. Um And... That's how I started teaching. I just mm. called her and said, oh, I need to, a teaching gig, you know. And that was the first time I started teaching freelance. And that is the first time that I was really tuned in. It was really the first time I realized what was going on in the modern yoga world. Yeah. So I was a little bit in my own bubble in upstate New York, mm. then had a kid, then briefly taught at Yoga Works in L.A. That's the part I skipped because it's too long of a story. Okay. And I came to New York and was really not aware of the explosion of yoga until mm-hmm. i moved back to manhattan um, so that was about you know 11 years ago 10 years ago
0: after 2001 <clears throat> yeah yeah because that's yes. when it happened right it was like 911 yes. and then yes. explosion of yes. yoga yeah
1: and um I, a lot of people would say to me, "Oh, do you? You must have studied a lot of Anusara." And I didn't know what the fuck they were talking about. I mean, I knew who John Friend was. I knew Anusara. But in my mind, he was an idiot, you know. And I was like, "I don't know what you're talking about." And then I realized that they, because I was had a lot of a Yangar influence mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in my teaching. And yeah, there was a lot.
0: There's a lot of alignment in his. Yes. In division, right. Yeah.
1: Right. And I always joke, you know, that that whole idea is so funny. Um, getting back to John Friend, which I enjoy talking about. Um, that he would use the word universal principles. I mean, how, you know, obscene is that to say we only know, as though we know what's beyond earth, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I always say the earthly principles, you know? <laughs> that's great. I, yeah. And then, and that, okay, that's a good one. So when I first saw this commercial that John Friend did for a yoga mat, a wider yoga mat that he actually... And I, it's kind of hard to find this online, but you can try to look it up. I think they tried to hide it um, after the Babarazi skewered it, mm-hmm. which they did a beautiful job of. And we can get back to the Babarazi yeah, yeah, when we're ready sure. to. Um, but I was... Absolutely, so deeply offended, I couldn't believe it. And the thought that anybody could see that commercial, he claimed the yoga mat would open your heart more. I mean, it's the most idiotic, pathetic piece of schlock shit. And then he, and then the people could still follow him and think he had something to say, boggles my mind. Yeah. Like, that to me just destroys any human image to me when you see. I don't have any forgiveness for that. I can't be like, oh, yeah, but he's interesting. He's got a lot to say. I'm like, no, you did a fucking yoga mat commercial where you pretend that a wider mat opens your heart, you yeah. know? Yeah,
0: so let's get into this, yeah. and I want to get into okay. this in a particular way. Okay. This is a perfect okay. segue yes. because, um, you know, you have been very honored to have recently been signed on with the Glorious Haynes Her Way Corporation. Oh, yes, as yes. A, as an ambassador. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so Thank I, you I'm for curi-
2: reminding me. <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: curious how you... Uh, how you were asked to um, to, yes. to come into such an esteemed position.
1: Well, it was really an honor that I had been hoping to receive all my life. Um, yeah, well, you're, you're sweet to mention my, my yoga video canon. Yeah. Yes, so I... Okay, so when I moved to Philadelphia and opened my, my studio a little less than a year ago, my husband said, you have got to get on Facebook because I was had always said I will never do Facebook. I will never get on Facebook. You know, that was my big thing that I would say to all my friends and family and yoga teachers. <laughs> he was like, you just have to for the business. And yeah. I was like, fine. So he set me up the account and did the whole thing. He he really is sort of the backbone of most of that stuff I do. He makes my website mm-hmm. and builds out the studios that we've had. And um,
0: He sounds awesome. Sweet man, yes.
1: Yeah. Um, and so I was... Astounded at what I saw in the social media world, and uh, I just couldn't believe it. Like, and so I basically friended like any yoga person. You know, I did it just for the business. So all I did is I went through every single Philadelphia, you know, and just like friended everybody. You know, because I was like, if I was going to be for the business, I might as well. So my whole feed is just yoga people, uh-huh. most of whom I don't know. And um, and of course, Facebook can be lovely too, and I totally like seeing pictures. But I really couldn't believe. The way it was really no different than any other form of pop culture, Vogue, even I will, I'm gonna say Playboy. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it was kind of like, which I love. I love a glossy magazine. I'll pick up a Playboy. Does that exist anymore? I just heard you can't put tits on Playboy or I'm something sure. weird. Yeah. But anyways, I used to. When I was a kid, I loved Playboy. i magazine yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, good to know, yeah. I'd always find my dad's Playboys and really get into it um, oh, yeah. when I was little. Yeah. I found
0: it my dad's club magazines when I was young. Oh, nice. I'm going to have to check to that
1: out. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> yeah. um, but And so it's not that I don't like to look at a pretty beautiful picture of a woman's body or a man's body. Um, but I, I kind of couldn't believe how homogenized it was. Mm-hmm. And... Of course, the whole precept of Facebook is you only have the like button mm-hmm. and the resistance to critical thinking and really to counterculture, which brings us back to those original days. So I was used to yoga being this thing of the other, of the outlier yeah. that, you know, the weirdos do yoga. And all of a sudden I was in a world where, you know, it was totally normal to say we don't use Sanskrit names anymore, you know, mm-hmm. like Tara styles. Um And which, sorry kids, but I find ridiculous. I mean, and I'm opinionated and I don't have a problem with being opinionated and anybody I admire is opinionated. If yeah. we think of all of those people that sort of change the world, they're opinionated yeah. people.
0: And I'm, I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. Like, what is the issue with feeling the need to make into English terms, as has been done a few times, the, right. the, 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 the names of the poses?
1: I mean, you know... It's co- it's really complicated, and there's this whole right controversy about what is traditional, what is not traditional, yeah. and that Matthew Remsky writes it really yeah, well yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. Yes, so I don't feel like I can really offer, you know, verbally a great didactic, you, you know, explanation about the controversy of tradition versus non-tradition. Mm-hmm. I love reading critiques about it, and I'm into talking about it. But I guess I will say that personally, you know, rather than a more broad critique of what is really traditional, and what is not, personally, I find it distasteful because it whether or not whether or not our physical postures are old or not, we know they're not that old. Most of them, they still they were still originated with Sanskrit terms. Yeah. And well, the a- philosophy is in, is in Sanskrit. Exactly.
0: It's entrenched in it. And it's funny because, yes. I, and this has just come to me when you're talking about it, is yes. that we don't turn to plant names, which are Latin names. Right. We don't turn to plants and say, oh, that didn't originate in English. We need to change the names of plants. You know what I mean? Be- right. Because the original Latin, because it's a part of a system of understanding. Yes. It's a part of a science of understanding a particular you know, tradition. And I get what you're saying about... <clears throat> you know, the critique of tradition and where it starts and where it ends and whatever. But, but, you know, in the same way that when a, when a doctor is learning, you know, concepts, he's not saying, well, let's make this more accessible. It's like, no, in order to rise to the experience of being a part of that yes. tradition and that part of that knowledge stream, it requires us to learn. You know, yes. Ra- and, and there's nothing wrong with. And, and, and English language is a a is a is a is a melting pot of a bunch of different languages anyway. So <laughs> totally. why should that why should that be an affront to us? Uh,
1: totally. And I think and I'm fine with a teacher teaching and never saying a Sanskrit word. Oh. That's fine with me. If the class moves me and it's an intelligent class, I don't care what they're saying. I don't care if they pronounce it wrong, if they don't use it or if they do. But to consciously say I will not use Sanskrit, I'm only using English and making up new English words, I think is really Mm ill-conceived and pretty much just dumb as shit because (laughs) you're basically discarding an entire history. And I actually find it verging on you know, racist, I would say, because you're saying I'm not using this language that came from an entire culture which is how we even know this practice exists yeah. is because of this culture
0: yeah and even if even if you don't want to go that extreme i mean it just the the names and the sanskrit terms link it to a whole mythology and yes. philosophy that is so rich like why would you want to rip it from exactly that,
1: exactly know? it's just yeah it's it's also going so much uh to me in current with this Homogeny and commodification anytime money gets involved, which is inevitable right when something yeah. gets popular, mm-hmm. um, you one can 't help but to become more homogenous yeah. right any the product can 't help but become because it 's just the issue with having a lot of people interested in it, like a mcdonald 's right yeah, the way yeah, something 's yeah. popular yeah. there 's obviously something tasty about mcdonald 's, but we know all the things that are negative mm-hmm. with it as well. Um, so I find that, um, the, yes, the representation to go back to this social media situation of yoga with, uh, it's almost a fear Mm -hmm. of the critical thinking mind, Mm -hmm. I find, um, is fascinating mm-hmm. and, um, can be maddening. Yeah. And I will often find, Oh, I sh- I'm not going to say my opinion about this because I'll get a whole lot of flack. Yeah, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, I- we were talking about this before, so I don't know if you, but we yeah, were talking no about problem. this before the interview about how, just like you're saying, there is this, this feeling that we're compelled to speak in this kind of like po- you know, all positive thinking yes. like kind of dripping with, you know, sappiness sort yes, of way, yes. and that that is really that's the discourse of yoga. But that's not the discourse of yoga. No. That's you know, yoga has been always been a part of you know traditions that were critical, and 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 there were philosophical schools that arose around you know the yoga and Buddhist traditions that were all about like you know having discourse, having like yes. critical discourse, and yes. looking deeply at these concepts. But there's a there's a there's this kind of flood of, oh, well, everything works. And yes,
2: the it's, universe you know, provides.
0: The universe provides and, like, your opinion is, is your opinion and it can live side by side with my opinion. Yes. And then there's this just messiness where nobody really has any ability to discern between what is fluff Yes. And what is concrete? And yes. and they think that uh, you know fluffiness is fine, you know, if you know that's your truth. But it's like actually, you know, fluffy ideas can lead to suffering. And if we're if we if we if we're partly here to find some way of 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 you know realizing a more integrated experience on this planet. Yes. It seems like it seems like the concepts and the ideas are important. You know?
1: I totally agree. I mean even the word grateful I have a bit of an allergy to because I'm every, so glad you're saying that. Oh this. my God. It it drives me crazy. And it took me a long time to articulate to myself why I would feel bristled when I'd see the word grateful all the time. And I and I was and what I do is I'm like, okay, let's say that, um, and again, I'm just being from my own Facebook feed, right? I'm sure other people have incredible Facebook feeds, which are much more interesting and, and, um, and revolutionary than my yoga Facebook feed. But, um, but I always imagine, okay, let's say a group of, oh, I'm just going to randomly say Afghani women who have been raped um, and enslaved
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: had to look at our, my Facebook feed. Oh yeah, fuck you! You're grateful. Thank yeah. you. Know what I mean? Like that is such an offense. Like yeah. I would, I want to see what the rest of the world would look at when they see whatever I write. If I say I'm grateful, I find that so entitled and offensive to everyone who is suffering. Yeah, it's an, an apology be, for right, social
0: oppression. Exactly, an apology,
1: exactly. And it's um and to um um project that gratefulness. In the guise of saying that that's acknowledging all that we are lucky enough to have and the others who don't have, the yeah. have-nots, Yeah. it really makes me crazy yeah yeah
0: yeah no it's so funny that you mentioned that because november it's i actually had a whole i i had a conversation that's why i love that you brought this up because i had a whole couple of conversations about gratitude and how it just it's not something that i like to talk about because first of all you know all of what you're saying but also the sense that like it's gratitude is not you know you can't just say like just be grateful for the things that you have it's like are you know it's it's an indirect you know, if you are do if you do feel grateful and you have gratitude in your life, it's an indirect um, byproduct of feeling full in your yes, life. Yes, yes. And the things that are inhibiting yes. you from feeling full are partly psychological and yes. they're partly collective and they're partly global. Yes. Political. Yes. You know, so like let's you know, let's let's Take steps in the world that's going to lead to deeper fullness in people's lives, yes. rather than this this like this weird.
1: And no doubt, we all feel grateful. Of course, we do. Yeah. We're li- we the fact that we even have the time and um, luxury to post something on Facebook mm-hmm. or to be doing this right now. Yeah. N- yes, we're grateful. We don't have to say that. To yeah. say it is to rub. It in... I actually find it passive aggressive yeah. to say it. Yeah. Because it's it should be completely assumed that we're all grateful. The fact that we have a bed to sleep in, wake up in the morning, yes. There's no need to teach gratefulness. We need to be teaching the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah. Sorry, uh, yeah. you know yeah. who who teaches, you know what.
0: Exactly, because if we are, I mean, and this is another thing that I, that I sometimes have conversations with people about, is that in this kind of... Um, uh, y- this preaching of, you know, feeling happy about everything, you know, and feeling like full of love all the time. In order to hold on to that experience, people have to shut out the shit, you know? Yes, exactly. And so it's actually kind of a prescription for escaping from what's going on,
2: you know, which is a lot of really shitty
0: political global... Exactly. And so if somebody if somebody's idea of yoga is I'm supposed to be happy and joyful and grateful all the time. Yes, that that they're going to have an incentive to ignore or not engage in things that need to be engaged.
1: Yes. And it's so it's such a simplification as well. Like, Mm we are products of our environment you and i and so of course we can't help but take part in the marketplace and yeah. we also both make a living teaching yoga yeah. and i do support my family you know it's i have an equal partnership with my husband and we both equally support our family and our two kids and i've always taught yoga to make a living that's what i did you know i mean I already wrote a sort of blog essay about how I got into yoga so I don't want to be repetitive but in the sense that it's not like I quit another job to be a yoga teacher. It happened very naturally mm-hmm. and it was almost out of my control and I didn't even want to be a yoga teacher. So a lot of times I feel it was this choice that that it wasn't a choice and that I was sort of got stuck in it because that's actually the only way I know how to make a living. Mm-hmm. And I find that it's really difficult and this is good to kind of bring us full circle. Um, to uh, resolve the marketplace of yoga with my own personal feelings about yoga. So, for example, in my yoga studio, I don't have, I mean, I don't really have room for a boutique, but I, and again, I'll say no judgment on other people's boutiques. We're sitting in my favorite yoga studio that has a boutique. Mm-hmm. I also don't have money for, to put a boutique in, all that shit. So, part of the things that I'm against, I'm not even, couldn't even have because, for example, I don't wear regular yoga clothes. I think they're stupid. My tits also don't fit in them because they're old, saggy nursing tits. If somebody made an interesting yoga brand where they could fit my left tit in it, I might actually sell that brand. So, I just want to say that I'm also a little bit, you know, I'm totally a hypocrite. I admit to it. But I will say that I find it very. I don't want to be a part of teaching a class where people often feel vulnerable and moved. Nothing necessarily to do with me. Maybe it's my teaching. Maybe it's just the state they come in when they teach. And then they walk out and, and you say, oh, buy this perfume, which actually was sold briefly at Kula. I'm just going to, you know, open book. I know every, Nikki won't fire me. Um, full disclosure here. It was at in the Kula lobby that said, I'm going to misquote the title, but it was like reminisc- reminiscent of... Tuscan summers. I mean, come on. I wanted to be like, I'm going to make a perfume that's reminiscent of my fucking underwear in a, in a 6 at rush hour. You know? Like, how entitled is that? And gross. Oh, yeah. uh, reminiscent of a Tuscan fucking summer? No. Um... <laughs> You know, the whole spiritual... What's it called? You know, there's a name for it. I actually feel like I invented that name, but I know I didn't, and now I can't remember it. Um, You know, where you buy things, like little fancy mala beads and stuff. uh, Spiritual materialism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. -hmm. I was Um, thinking
0: spiritual bypassing, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: right. Yes. uh, That too. That's another thing. But I would like to bring it back now to my Hanes commercials. Because so then I felt like, all right, how, when my husband said, you have to go on Facebook, and I don't want to post pictures of myself doing asanas. One, I just think it's boring at this point. Everyone, yeah. there's so many amazing practitioners. Totally. I used to be a big fish in a little sea, and now what I do is nothing. You know yep. what I mean? It's, and that's great. People just get better and better, right? Mm. So my little asana pictures aren't going to look that interesting. Um, my body doesn't look as good as it used to. Uh, the yoga shirts don't fit my tits in them, so I'm not mm-hmm. going to take pictures of myself doing asanas. And then... I looked at the way women are representing themselves. The, per- the perfectly hairless, white, glistening bodied who has children as well and still has the six-pack abs and cooks efficient, um, locally-sourced artisanal dinners. And it's so easy. It's just a little bit of planning to cook this for your family, for your kids. Um, and um, also, they're sexy but hard-edged at the same time. Uh, so I... Very, you know, it's not that I thought this all ahead of time, but I was like, how can I kind of skewer this idea and promote my yoga studio?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm sort of known for wearing large, baggy Hanes Her Way underwear that would often ride up above my leggings. Yeah, I remember those. Right, mm-hmm. okay. And I would joke about it in class. So one day I was just like, I'm just going to take a yoga asana pic of myself with the underwear on the outside of my leggings. Um basically like what could be sort of like the ugliest, dumbest picture, you know, <laughs> and pretend I'm doing a one-armed handstand. Yeah. And my way of dealing with things is always through sarcasm, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and it can be aggressive. I will admit I've been recently accused of being too aggressive. Um, oh. So, <laughs> by a family member. Oh,
0: okay. Um, well, they're, they're supposed to have those kind of thoughts yeah. about you. Exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. I told them that. Well, I haven't told them yet, but I'm planning the email. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, an apologetic email, not oh, an acu- <laughs> yeah. accusatory email. Um, So anyways, then it started getting more complex, which I laugh about because they're totally like the most primitive videos you could ever imagine. I mean, you know, low tech, but um, B-level. Do you Um, you take
0: them on your phone?
1: Yeah, well, I actually hold my computer and use, which is why the sound (laughs) sync is off, which I also kind of like. I use... um, You know, what's the thing where you take a picture of yourself and you can what's the name of it? You know, like Uh, a...
0: Photo booth? Yes.
1: I hold photo booth, the video part, with my whole computer over. It's actually kind of hard to do. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. um, It's
0: a workout in your arm. It
1: really is a workout. So, yeah. So, I basically just decided to do this, like, character of the woman who has it all. And somebody reminded me of this, and it's so true. And I'm so glad they, they... thought this. I don't know if you're too young to know this, but there was these commercials, uh, Augele, a perfume commercial. I bring home the bacon, I fry it up in a pan. I never, never, never let you forget you're a man, cause I'm a woman. Augeley. So it's wow. this woman with a black, in a black background, real eighty total 80s outfit, gorgeous, who brings home the bacon, fries it in a pan, and also fucks, you know what I mean? She yeah. also fucks her husband, makes the money, where, oh, she goes from the business suit to a hot, sexy outfit, and it's a perfume commercial, and it really affected me Because I was obsessed with it. I would sing it all the time, and someone who was my age was like, yeah, it's like the Ojali character. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it, Ojali, but that's how I remember it. Mm-hmm. And, um... That is what I'm referring to, you know, and I'm basically that's the only way I can connect to this female Yoga, modern yoga persona is by skewering it in that way you yeah. know?
0: so the intention is for it to be satirical for to Absolutely. be like yoga socially satirical because it feels very much that way and actually when we were originally talking about this before I mentioned Haynes her way you had talked about John friend and the and the yoga yeah yes. and one of my favorite videos is the tiny mat.
1: <laughs> oh good I'm glad you like the that good. that's what I'm I'm, I'm I'm referring to that. Is that from, yes. was that
0: inspired by that yes okay. yes yeah
1: I mean I only hope that I'm I'm, that I'm assuming as that well. everyone is feeling getting that but then and then I realize, you know, sometimes I will be like, yeah, not that it matters. I mean, the work stands on its own. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, really you, either, you either feel that it's skewering the yoga world or not. And either way, it's fine. But yeah, the tiny man is totally making fun of that and making fun of the yoga products.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know. Um,
0: is it safe to say that you think to be an ambassador of any kind yes. of company that's selling something is problematic?
1: I absolutely, I find, and, I'm, and this is, I know I told you before we started this, I'm gonna offend a lot of people, yeah. and p- people that I adore and love, you know who you are. You are, I know, ambassadors of Lululemon.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I find it absolutely ridiculous. Also, that somebody, when they post, I'm, I'm an ambassador of Lululemon, I'm like, really, you, your fucking grandmother, your mother, and your brother, sister, like, who's not an ambassador of Lululemon? Like, don't be proud of it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they've asked, yeah, they asked me to be an ambassador, bitch, you know? Um, actually, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> After they um, saw their
0: videos, your videos they no, like, no, they
1: won't <laughs> do that, but um uh I just think ugh i I find it really distasteful um to put it sweetly, mm-hmm. and um I think the i don't like any whenever of course I'm wearing products all over my body, but often I will black out the Nike symbols. I mean, only because I don't like to look at it. I find mm-hmm. it aesthetically distasteful. So yep. that fucking little, what is it, the horseshoe symbol and everything mm-hmm. drives me absolutely crazy. The dude's politics are obviously fucked up.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't see why. But that's what I mean. It's, it's Oh, it's fine. The whole world is like this. But all that, my problem with it is is that we act as though... Our yoga culture, I'll put us all into that, acts as though it's better than pop culture fluff, Yeah. and it's exactly the same. Yeah. And I don't have.
0: It's just manipulated in a different jargon.
1: Exactly, yeah. and that, so it's not that I have a problem with someone if if a D, So, for example, I'm I'm fairly sure that is. Are we are we going to get in trouble when we name names of things?
0: I mean. I own this project, so okay. the only person you could get, get in trouble with would be me. Okay, <laughs> Or the okay. people, okay, we, or who, the we people who we
1: mentioned. <laughs> so I was told that Elena Brower made quite a bit of money. In my mind, I'm going to use the word, and I'm totally um, making things up here. I'll admit, whoever's listening, I mean, I don't know this is the right number. 150000 by Adidas to – she was on some – adidas commercial like she made little yoga videos for their website mm-hmm. right and a brand and a and a you know i don't know what you call that like a little line of adidas clothing mm. when i was told this number it was like it's not that much one hundred fifty thousand. now to me one hundred fifty thousand is life changing oh my god yeah i work i'm dollar to dollar mm. i mean we live partially on a credit card we're yeah. not yeah um I so, uh, yes, so I'm lucky in life. I have a family member, you know, who helps out. You know, I'm just not complaining, but saying that means a lot to me, $150,000. No, totally. So what I want to say in terms of my own hypocrisy, if I'm going to just say Adidas, because that's how it was told to me that you pronounce it. Um, no. Yeah, I swear to God. Um, <laughs> if they came to me and said, here's a check for $150,000, will you do will you promote this little line of clothing on our website?" You know, honestly, I probably would because I fucking could put the kids through school for the next few years, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't feel good about it, but here's the rub, is that they would never ask me that <laughs> because that's not my, per- like, I would never be asked because my actual self isn't the kind of person if you tried to get me to do a straight commercial right now and make and talk about like the audio clothes you would just crack up because i'd look like an idiot I'd, <laughs> I'd be making weird faces i'm not i don't have that kind of commercial smile
0: i would really love to see the, those commercials though well and maybe that wha- should be the next
1: and that's why i did the Haynes, right because i was like let me try to be like the straightest chick i can be you know mm-hmm. like and that was actually fun for me to do because i've sort of done that for years where I, like watch i'm gonna try to sell you this this coffee is so delicious. If you drink it before your practice, your practice is going to be blown out of this world. <laughs> um, so I actually do that to entertain myself. Yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is that I'm lucky because my hypocrisy can't be revealed because no one's ever going to ask me to represent Adidas.
0: Right. You know? Yeah. You'll just get angry emails from people after they read this podcast. Exactly. To this pod.
1: I'll get a lot of angry emails. You know what? I welcome them. Uh, one amazing thing the Babarazzi did, um, mm-hmm. and if nobody has read this website, please do. It's hated mostly in the yoga world because it skewered exactly what we're talking about, the pop culture of yoga, but it's mm-hmm. extremely well-written. It's really smart. Everything I'm trying to say, the writers of Babarazzi say 100,000 times better, But what one of the writers of Babarazzi does was they responded to critiques. If you look in the comment section, amazingly, Mm. totally non-defensive, so smart. And I, that's very hard to do, you know, and I think that's incredible. And it really shows you how smart the Babarazzi, I'm just going to say the Babarazzi guy is. I think Mm. it's a guy, the main guy.
0: Um, Do you think there's more than one writer?
1: I think there were a few, but I think there was one sort of leader of it, Mm -hmm. mm -hmm, who I kind of... How do you yeah. feel about the
0: anonymity? Because I had a recent yeah. confrontation I was mentioning to you before uh, about this, and and the position of this person was that it was somehow cowardly to, mm-hmm. to be anonymous, and that if somebody has these kinds of critical opinions, they should just be right. public about it.
1: I think that it actually shows how homogenous and actually scarily thought-policed our yoga world is, because mm-hmm. I do feel that he had to be anonymous, because... He did it so so intelligently and so smartly, but so harshly. Yeah. He actually was threatened. Uh, Sadie Nardini wanted to sue him mm. because they really went wild with Sadie Nardini stuff because she does all those videos like weight loss, yoga, you know, the 30... I don't even know what they are, but I also find them to be extremely distasteful. And the Bob Rossi really skewered her. Um, Pretty strongly, and um, and that's why some people feel that they were very misogynistic. It's hard to use the word misogynistic because we didn't know if they were men or women. Yeah. But I will say, um, w- hateful towards women. But I found it actually totally the opposite. I find what Sadie's doing to be misogynistic. Mm-hmm. Um, but um,
0: and what is it that Sadie's doing? If we can,
1: I find that she is. It's. Yoga for, to say yoga for weight loss brings up such a loaded suitcase of issues for me that it's almost so hard, it's so hard to unpack. I mean, we could like do, you know, two hours with unpacking those issues, but anorexia in the yoga world, bulimia, obsessive A type personality where people are totally body obsessed to the point where, you know, love and family is neglected. You know, a lot of yogis have a horrible personal life mm-hmm. uh, because of Hatha yogis, modern Hatha yogis, because all they do is practice and they ha- can't get together their interpersonal relationships.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So to, to whittle it down to like that you could do something in, you know, a half an hour workout. I mean, Terra Style does this too. To get tight abs or lose weight is so pathetically simplistic to me and fine it's like any number of things but again it's just the same schlock as like one of those car salesmen that you see at 3 a.m like ah you know it's no different to that than me but somehow the people who are promoting hatha yoga like this will get offended if you say no one would get offended if you said ah, that's the stupidest car that's the stupidest commercial for the law office you know for a you know uh you know those divorce ads, law. yeah, divorce law, right? But because it has the word yoga on it, somehow it's sacrosanct. Yeah, Is that how you say yeah, the word? Yeah, 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 sacrosanct. Yeah, sacrosanct. Um, and I guess that's my problem with it, and that's what the Bob Rossi did. And people then would would write and say, "How dare you!" But I say, "How dare you?" Say, "How dare you?" Mm-hmm, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Personally, um, we were talking about that for a specific reason. Uh,
0: I mean we're just skewering We're the whole skewering yoga it. Yes,
2: we're skewering it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it came up as a as a perfect example I think of 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 a lot of the hypocrisy and the you know almost like the the divinizing of a person's self-image and what you're saying What you mentioned about about um, about how some people, you know, a lot of yogis have terrible personal lives or interpersonal lives, but that's often left out because you know we're not supposed to really talk about the shit because we're supposed to be. You know, we're yogis. We yes, should be happy. Exactly. We should be peaceful beings. We should never say right. a, a, a negative word about anybody. And, of course, what ends up happening is that then, then it produces a kind of neurosis about your own negative thoughts. Because yes, then it's like, yes. oh, my God, I shouldn't be having that thought. You know, yes. I shouldn't be thinking negatively about, about, about that person. I shouldn't be gossiping. And so then yes. there's, like, a reactive Yes, kind I'm of, so
1: glad you bring this up because I wanted to talk about gossiping.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is what we're doing very well.
1: Yes, thank you. Um, I see this is why I'm not, I have, I've always had a struggle, a conflict with the yoga world because I come from someone who admires um, Oscar Wilde, who Mm -hmm. admires, um, okay, apparently this is misquoted, but. that it wasn't Dorothy Parker. So we'll have to go research this afterwards. We don't want to take time and look on our phones right now, but you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, sit next to me, right. I'm misquoting it. And then apparently it wasn't originally her, but, um, but, um, I find that the, not yoga art, but great literature, great movies, great art, paintings, videos, if any of those artists were told, think good thoughts and don't gossip, Proust, Remembrance in mm. Things Past, my favorite book of all time, mm. favorite books of all time. Yeah. Um, I mean, how boring would the world be? It, the jeu de life is to sit and analyze the behavior of other people. And much of behavior is distasteful. Mm-hmm. And downright idiotic. I mean, look at the world right now. Look at our politics. Yeah. It's pathetic. So to try to say that, to, if we don't just speak frankly about that, and that's un-yogic, in my opinion, is absolutely wrong. And if you really get down with any like any yoga teacher for real, like if you get them on an intimate level, any like really like famous yoga teacher, you mm-hmm. know, and guru, my. Te- my teacher, Shubridge, my, my Vedanta teacher, she could gossip until five in the morning. Anybody, I guarantee you the Dalai Lama gossips. I will sign it in blood right now. <laughs> um, I also guarantee you that if you put the Dalai Lama in a household or situation in my house on a morning where you're getting the kids to school and had to deal with... Ma- I'm going to put m- as though I was his wife and my husband was his husband. So he had to deal with both of our moods, deal with the stress of not being financially stable he would break
2: yeah I guarantee it I guarantee it Yeah.
1: yeah um but I um wait yeah I'm really glad there was one really important point I wanted to get to about that um the gossiping the positive thinking um oh yes so I find that if you look at the you know, the backbone of Vedanta, you know, pre-sutras,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, it's a very intense, you know, critical philosophy. And, you know, it's really looking into the face of death. Like in order to be present, in order to experience Satchitananda, the flip side is to look right into the face of death and destruction. Mm. I mean, I don't think I'm saying anything new at all. Think of Even from the Hindu pantheon, the Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva—you know—it is there, right, right in our face. Mm -hmm. Fucking Shavasana, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, the commodification of the yoga world and the homogeny of it—you were asking why I I think, for example, one example would be Sadie Nardini's weight loss videos. Mm -hmm. This. Abstraction of self to a watered down idea of what a physical body looks like is completely obfuscating what we're really trying to look at, which is the process of aging mm-hmm. and death mm-hmm. to not see aging faces is really detrimental to our spiritual progress. Oh God, it's yeah. it's horrible. Mm-hmm. And it it pains me um, the way women won't reveal the aging phase. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually really hurts me and it's something that I wish if I could change one thing, it would be that we would embrace our age. I get so, I'm so excited about my grey hairs and so excited about my wrinkles and the way, I feel so relieved as I get older to be more myself
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and
1: uh, to not have to front and also to not have to like, you know, it's such a relief sometimes to not have to present the sexy you know, trying to I'm, I'm speaking heteronormatively right now just because i happen to be heterosexual but to mm-hmm. try to not you know greet the man in the way that's pleasing you yeah. know and i just love it I, every year that goes by i'm like ah yes you know i can just you feel be liberated myself more. from that yes yeah yeah, yeah.
2: Mm.
0: <laughs> wow. So, speak more about um, speak more about the idea of yoga as being you know facing death because you mentioned that, but I would love for you to just unpack that a little bit more, and maybe also um, talk a little bit about the teachings of Vedanta and and. Yeah, I would just love to hear yeah. you kind of unpack the philosophy a little bit more for, for the listeners. Okay, yeah. sure. I
1: mean, I'll do my best. But, uh, you know, it's hard. Like, oftentimes when I'm teaching, it's a very different... Um, I'm a different sort of conduit than in conversation. So I'll know things in teaching that I don't know in this personality and it's hard to describe why that is but i just know that i will have information and that makes it sound like i'm acting like i'm some sort of mysterious being i'm not i'm just saying that when i'm in the teaching mode i think i'm tuned in in a certain way where mm-hmm. i am accessing information that i have that is harder to access in casual conversation so mm-hmm. that's just a little aside no but worries. um yeah <laughs> but um yeah i mean i think that and this is what interests me. And there's so much to unpack in Vedanta. You could pick anything. You know, there's so many things you could unpack. That, but what interests me is death, which is another word for stream change. Mm-hmm. And I find that, and maybe I'm a morbid person, but for example, when I have a child, I mean, I have, I've had two children. Um, so both times, when I look at the face of my newborn, I immediately see them dying and this is not um when I've said this to some people they feel bad but it's not like that it's actually a beautiful thing I feel I mean it's beautiful in a bittersweet painful way yeah. so I look it's so fascinating to me to to have the newborn in my hands and be looking at this face you know that just exited out of my body oh man not to mention childbirth which is such an incredible experience of death you know it's like cuz it is like a little death you know yeah. um and then see I see in that moment of first breath of first life the last breath you know it's just where my mind goes and I think it might be because of yoga practice you know I think that might be why I go there because I find that in every class every time I take a class even if it's a shitty class I still love it I'm always like god it feels so good to breathe like why don't I do this more often you know Like the prana moving through the body, it's just delicious, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm always astounded, always. Even if I hate the class, I'm still like, fuck, it feels good, you know? Um, And then Shavasana, fuck, this feels so good too. And I do think that looking at the newborn's face like that, this is amazing and this is going to end. And the acknowledgement the reveal of the end makes to me the presence be that much more clear mm-hmm. and that much more expansive in the way that sat chitananda so sat the essential nature of life truth right? it's in lots of different ways you can describe yeah. sat um reality right so an asatoma Satkamiya, they use it for real they, the word is used as real and unreal um so the sot of consciousness of chit, in my opinion, can only be fully revealed when we look right into the eye at the uh, final exhale, mm-hmm. at the end of consciousness, because then consciousness has more context, right? and also how lucky we are. Now we could use the word grateful mm-hmm. <laughs> to have... The ability to be self-conscious, to explore consciousness,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is what Vedanta is, right? Like I would say, if it's one thing, it's that we use the crazy thing that makes us human is self-consciousness. Do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Right. We like we don't know if other animals have that. Yeah, it's they true. might. But <clears throat> let's we're, just we're say we know that we have reflecting it.
0: Reflecting and analyzing ourselves of right. being self-aware. Yeah,
1: exactly. So yeah. then Vedanta says who is the self that is aware mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i mean that's basically what vedanta is yeah and then in order to know awareness one must also know the dissolution of awareness yeah
0: i'm really glad that you're saying that because i you know it's interesting to me because i you know the the <clears throat> The, the philosophical tradition that I tend to be the most attracted to is yeah. Shaivism, yes. which, uh, you know, is very similar to Vedanta in that it's non-dual. But, yes. but there's, you know, there's certain, you know, philosophical differences. But what I hear you saying to mm-hmm. me feels much more Shaivite in the sense mm-hmm. that, that there's a sense of the eternal, you know, this like Brahman yes. that includes... Um, the pulsation of life both into life and then out of life. Yes. And, and so, and sometimes I feel like, and maybe, I don't know if you agree with me, but I would love to hear your thoughts on this. I feel like sometimes the desire or, or the the projection of Vedanta is that it's kind of a promise of eternal life.
2: Yes, So it yes. would be
0: evading, basically, what you're saying, which is a crucial component to really realizing Satyadananda, which is to to be able to experience fully the whole arc of life, which includes yes. both the emerging, the maintenance, and the passing away.
1: Yes, I think that's so true. And I know what you mean, because I always... I used to have a problem with the third line of Asatoma Satgamaya, um, which is um, of that sloka, which mm-hmm. is, you know, it's often translated as lead me from the, for the fear, fear of, of death, death to, the, to the state of immortality, immortality. Yeah. right? To the knowledge of immortality. And I'd be like, really, that would block me, yeah. you know? Yeah,
0: that's, that's so funny you said that because I have the same experience. Yes. have the same experience. It's, in fact, when I chant that, and I, if I translate it for the class, I usually say the eternal because it doesn't, the eternal for me doesn't resonate in the same way that immortality does. Yes. Because it implies... I think it, it 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 reflects or it echoes with what you're critiquing, which is our evasion of death, evasion of the experience yes. of death, or want are, are, are wanting to deny that it's a real experience,
1: right? And the, but then I realize that that's and obviously it's all of our own interpretations. But yeah. how I interpret the sloka is, I realized after a while, and then I ended. Now I love it, but I will translate it in my own way. Oftentimes, um, is just that that this the im to me, immortality is being present, is the now or the elusive concept of now, mm-hmm. which is expansive consciousness, which is similar to, you know, there's so many um, parallel ways to describe this in cosmology and in physics, you know, mm-hmm. but the, the expanding matter, you know, in my opinion, would be an analogy to immortality.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The infinite expansion of space, um so the i mean me i don't know if i ever have but let's just say i've had and maybe you have had two tiny glimpses into the now right mm-hmm. a sudden feeling of unexplained equipoise, bliss yeah, yeah. or expansive quality. So to me, I equate that with, this, with, with immortality because change no longer matters. Mm. One ha- mm. You have surrendered the fear of change and the obsessive mm. nostalgic yeah. yearnings, right? So that nostalgia is the yearning for a home that doesn't exist, right? A homesickness mm-hmm. is the word. I always talk about that in class, so it's a bit repetitive. But um,
0: that's so interesting. So you know. you're so, sorry to interrupt. No, you no, because please. I love yeah. this, but yeah. It's making me think, and, and I think this is re- such a profound idea: is that the idea that that we've interpreted or we experience the idea of immortality in a kind of clock, well, clock-like yes, way, yes. temporal way, like yes. Infinite
1: linear, time. yes,
0: linear, infinite time. And yes. what you're saying is that the immortality is a, is a, is like. A profound experience of being timeless. Yes,
1: exactly. Thank you. You said that so well. The profound experience of being timeless, that's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yes, so that we are locked in, which is really great that we're talking about this because that is what I'm finding frustrating in the pop culture yoga world. Mm -hmm. Everything's based on this linear description, which is the fear of aging And and the obsession of youth culture. If we really look into the eye of what I really do think is Vedanta, like I don't think I'm making this up. I think that if you really, we look at the text, it does describe this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that present presentness, nowness, is timeless. That's the whole point, right? Yeah. Then we lose all fear. Fear
2: mm-hmm.
1: is anger. Anger is fear of death. Right? Any, okay, if we say all, any feeling of anger, I would say that's pretty pop culture. Psychology is is fear, mm-hmm. right? the backbone of anger. Mm-hmm. And all fear, the, the undercurrent of all fear, is fear of death.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the and fear of death is fear of change. Yeah, And fear of change is fear of the linear quality of time, is looking yeah. into the face of the newborn and feeling the neuroses comes when we try to, when we get so scared of the death of the child. I'm not trying to say, tell you I'm not fearful of the death of my children. Of course, yeah. But yet... I like to try to become okay with it. Because who knows what's going to happen. I mean, it's a terrible thing to say for some people to hear that, but I do think of that. I'm like, how how could we be okay with like, let's say the the worst thing that could happen, which to me is the children dying. Mm -hmm. To be alive when your own children die, you know? Which happens to people all day long. Yeah. Um, How could we feel that autonomously connected to Sat that Mm -hmm. even that? course it effect we have to still be in the narrative of life and effects a bit that that wouldn't destroy us completely yeah. You know? yeah yeah
0: yeah Wow and I went
1: a little dark there but no I think yeah. that's.
0: <clears throat> I think that these teachings are some of the most important teachings and um I was having another conversation with about uh, with Gabriel Hopper, who comes here. He's oh, yeah, I yeah. still haven't had, had a chance to. to yeah, listen to it when you can, because he's. I think you know. I would love to have like a a forum where you're both talking about this, because you both actually have a very um, critical voice as oh, as, as so yoga teachers, right, yeah. and also like very similar views on a lot of things. Um, but one thing that I would love to hear you talk about is okay. So we we have what is the prescription? So, like, for you, yes. as, a, as a teacher, you know, what mm-hmm. kind of teachings would you want to impart to your students? What kind of right. practices would you
2: right. offer
0: in order to <clears throat> move us away from right. the kind of conformity of the yoga community uh-huh. into a more deep connection to th- right. the, the ideas and the truths that you're speaking about?
1: That's a really yeah, really hard question to answer because I think, you know, one of my my... One thing that I try to be very, and I'm sure I fail, but to be very true to is is not to present as something other than I am, you know, mm-hmm. is to really be genuine. And, and genuinely, I don't know, like I am, fail constantly at my interpersonal relationships as well. I'm glad I remember to say that because I didn't want to act like I was any better than anybody else mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, barely have a home practice, you know, with <laughs> dealing with the You know, I I don't want to say it's an excuse, but trying to be the mom, the wife, the and work and the no you know what I mean? I find it very difficult. So you know, all I can all I could say to that was that I teach from my own what I that I really teach from my own genuine voice from what I truly believe in, which is this, what we're talking about. Like I do believe in Vedanta. I believe in the practice. Mm -hmm. And every time I teach a class, I do my best to avoid platitudes Mm -hmm. and avoid even a phrase. Like it's sort of like a, I don't say this to myself literally, but I do realize that I, I sort of, it's a, A challenge that I give to myself where every word that I say is actually I believe you know Mm -hmm. even if it's mostly alignment you know mostly just right leg left leg you know that too like Mm -hmm. do I believe this is helping the physical body Mm -hmm. but specifically in anything under the category of Dharma talking Mm -hmm. that it feels genuine that I haven't presented a personality that's ingenuine or that's not in keeping with how I really am you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm and i guess i would say that hopefully by presenting myself in that way through example maybe the student might be able to discover that in themselves yeah. but yeah. other than that i would say it's just kind of kissing my own ass to say it's any more than that mm. i think mostly it's just you have you feel good physically you get some endocrines moving you get some You know serotonin levels changed because it the physical shit feels good you know what I mean and other than that it's mostly a show you know it's mostly a nice I'm good at weaving a narrative arc I'm doing it for a long time so it comes naturally I'm confident I'm Mm -hmm. an actress so I speak well you know I speak confidently and I can make a narrative story which is all great for you know that's all the fun part of a class Mm where they create a narrative arc and some of it's just smoke and mirrors. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: I mean, I like what you said a little bit before where you were talking about, you know, teaching from your own experience. Because I think that there is a difference that you see sometimes in in teaching from a place as if you've arrived. Mm. You know, I've yeah. arrived at truth. Yes. And here I'm going to offer you my place from the mountaintop. Yes. Or I'm going to offer yes. you teachings from the mountaintop. mountaintop. Yes. And I feel like what you're kind of offering instead is is the idea of, you know, this is a process. It's a process that never ends because yes. everything is always changing. And so I can only, you know, speak from my own understanding in this juncture that I'm in, in this process of of hopefully evolution, you know?
1: Yes, and to be open to the change in qualities of practice as well. Like things that I taught even on just a physical level years ago, I've shifted my ideas about, you yeah. know? And in terms of literally like how, what, you know, what postures are beneficial to us, what postures are not, like even that kind of banal, visceral experience of practice, I've shifted my ideas on,
2: Mm.
1: not to mention how I think the philosophy is applicable in life, you know, and I probably say that I've grown to feel it's a lot less applicable than I used to feel, you know, Mm -hmm. like I used to feel that much more strongly that, you know, every, if you followed this, this and that, you could have transformation. Mm -hmm. And, I would say I'm not, don't feel that as much anymore. And oftentimes I will actually question it all and think, wait a second, is this bullshit? Yeah, like, I'm still yeah. fucking dealing with the same shit. I'm having the same argument I had yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. What's this done for me? Yeah. And one. Are you
0: saying you question the idea of, like, enlightenment or mm-hmm. awakening?
1: Oh, and even yoga itself. Like, even mm-hmm. Vedanta. Like, even the whole practice, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe this is just some crazy shit some people said. It's interesting. It's fine. But it's not actually applicable Mm -hmm. to it is applicable to I would say to someone like a monk or a Dalai Lama who Mm -hmm. you actually can go isolated I do believe I think if you if you're more isolated and served by others like fed Mm -hmm. and given clothes and food Mm -hmm. I actually think yes that anybody could do it but in terms of the rote mundane qualities of life Householding, mm. sometimes I will question is it possible?
0: But maybe, you know, <laughs> just to kind of spiral off yeah. or connect to what we were saying before, maybe to hold the skepticism of the practice in, you know, the same space that we're pr- continuing to practice is, you know, a small example of looking at the face of death even with regards to our own practice rather than kind of like blind faith in a, you know, a certain trajectory of experience that other people have taught to us. Perhaps a part of the process of sat, as you were mentioning, Mm -hmm. is to be able to entertain the fact that at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything.
1: Yes. I like, I would like to think that. And that's often what I think. And some, and what sort of keeps me going is that I do know that I, I might be able to say there's never been a class I didn't enjoy teaching mm. out of these last 20 years, you know? Like, <laughs> You'd like to be able to say that, or you think I, you I'm can think, say that? I, will, I don't know if I could guarantee that. Like, maybe I've had a really horrible fight with Nick and something awful has happened, and, you know... I've actually struggled through Oh no, I think I've been so horribly hungover. That's true. I'm just remembering a couple of times now where it was hell. But there might have even been moments during those classes I liked. But um
0: But you generally have enjoyed teaching I, almost every class you have. I taught.
1: love teaching. Wow. And I and even if I'm in the shit ass, shittiest mood you can imagine, once I'm there focused in, I really love instructing and, and You know, and that's why I say that I also enjoy. It doesn't really matter to me. Well, maybe with the exception of hot yoga and Bikram, Mm. I really can't stand those classes. But other than that, it could be. Well, I've never tried acro yoga either. Or is that the one you do? Is that what you do with the ribbons? You have a partner and
0: people like. Oh yeah, oh, yeah,
1: not that. And then also, I'm not sure about the ribbons. What's that called? Ribbons. Where you hang off those things of them in the ceiling.
0: Oh, uh, aerial yoga. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm
1: not sure about that either. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but other than that, even like in any class where there's good instruction, mm-hmm. that could be anything. Like how Nikki V teaches like such clean instruction, right? But it's yeah. not necessarily Dharma-soaked. Yeah. There's a revelatory experience to that. Totally. Because she obviously loves it mm-hmm. and has put a lot of thought into it. Yeah. Or if it's mostly Dharma, I could love it. If it's literally in a Yangar class where you're just doing a twist all the time, I could love it. If the instruction has the fuel and context of the teacher who is really connected. embodying oh, yeah. it and really connected, to me, that's an amazing class. And I feel like I feel that way when I teach 95% of the time. Wow. Um, but I'm not saying that's how it comes off to other people. You might think it's a shitty class, but I'm feeling that way. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, when I disassociate is when I feel like the teacher hasn't found their own voice, is disembodied, and sometimes, oh, to get back to the whole Jivamukti thing, like if the Dharma talk takes twenty minutes now to start class, but it's an excellent Dharma talk, you know, where the teacher—I'm into it—but the kind of um, factory-produced teaching that happens a lot now. Mm-hmm. That can really bristle me in the class. I'll still find something interesting, but that's hard to deal with. And I think there's a lot of that. And part of it is the commodification of yoga, because as you and I both know, like one of the only ways to make money is to do a teacher training, which I haven't yeah. even made myself. But I even have a problem with teacher trainings. You know,
0: mm-hmm. I Did mean, you do I, you a know. teacher training?
1: I mean, you mean personally? Yeah. No, <laughs> I've never done a teacher training. I'm uncertified. No, I think I got. In order to teach at the Kula Teacher Training, I got, or at the, I think it was the Wanderlust one. Actually, even Kula cool is so, um, you know, cool with me that they didn't make me do it. But for Wanderlust, let's not get into that. Um, we might get in trouble,
2: <laughs> Jeff. Um,
1: I got a certificate so I think I am officially certified by what I don't even know what the place is, the Yoga Alliance or something. Oh, you did? I, yeah, I actually oh, so like Yeah, a- I sent in like the hours, you know, mm-hmm. and I got a thing, a, mm-hmm. pa- a piece of paper. It's I insane. took a picture of it. You know,
0: we started a we started a teacher training and we're in the middle right. of a teacher training right. for for uh, for um, embodied philosophy. And and filling out the document and, and handing it in was so I mean, they just, like, they send you a, an affirmation. Right, so easy. It's so easy. Right, that's what Anybody I did too. I know, exactly.
1: I did too. I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to be so hard. I have to go get Sharon and David or something. He was like, "I no, you just put the hours. Anybody. I mean, right, and so that's exactly, and that's the non-entity. thing where you start to it's sound just... bitter. You just can't, you just got to forget about it. Who cares? But it's a way to make money. I get it. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone can say that they're doing it to
0: It's not a sign of of, of no. any kind of standard no. No, or, or quality now, at all.
1: Now, I want to just, you know, say that I probably will do a teacher training yeah. soon because I need to make a living.
0: And unfortunately now, most yes. studios, you can't walk into a studio and say no. I'm untrained. I mean, there no. are teachers like you, there are other teachers that I know who are phenomenal master teachers. Right. Anybody, right. you know, we're going to tell everybody how to, to come take your class soon. Right. But, but, you know, you can't. I mean, unfortunately, you can't. go right. Generally I'm go into a yoga studio no. and not have a teacher training. You no,
2: know, exactly, a, and exactly. And get a
1: job. Yeah. I'm interested in doing in teaching an advanced teacher training because I actually think I will enjoy it, but people mm-hmm. who have already been teaching for a while, yeah. and I don't know if I can get anyone to come to it, but that's what I actually would find personally pleasurable yeah. and hopefully would also be a way to bolster my finances. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 200 hour, I don't find teaching pleasurable at all, and I did that you know, for a company we won't name. <laughs> and, um, I found it, yeah, not my cup of tea. Only yeah. because the, stu- the I didn't know why they were doing it, the students. It, they were so beyond ready to even do a 200-hour level that it astounded me. And that's, I, it sounds judgmental, but I'm just saying that very like, clearly, like, just factually. Like, there's no reason they should be doing a teacher training. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of people are doing that these days, and I do have a problem with it. Yeah. Great! Great! <laughs> Back to skewering Back people. Back to skewering people yes, we, and the, the wider
0: yoga community. No, I think yep. I think conversations like this are profoundly important, and I'm so glad that you feel open to be totally honest about all these things. There's a couple like wrap-up questions. Yeah, but We're sure, going to take sure. a class together now. Yeah, we I'm super are. Super excited. Mm, me too. Jillian Turecki, who I previously interviewed for this podcast. I
1: know it's so nice. She's yeah, the best. She yeah. is
0: the best. Um, so a couple of things. Well, one is just I want you to have an opportunity to kind of share. Where people can find you, whether okay. it be online or actually physically, you know, okay. where in Philadelphia you teach. Okay. Uh, and then any other kind of projects you have going on, if you want to mention retreats or anything like that.
1: Cool. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm going to do everything that now I detested. You can sell yourself. And you can buy Hanes Her Way. Okay, actually, I do, you know, my, my biggest pleasure would be if you watched my Hanes Her Way videos. So, I actually, some people We're claim... Gonna p- I want to put well, some on the website. On would you let me do that? Oh, my God, of course. I wanted but, to
0: actually ask you, would yeah. you be, would, if someone approached you and wanted to make it into, like, a small web series of some kind, like, make it a little more...
1: Yes, would you although, be open to that? I mean, I totally would, except that I don't know, you know, we've. Re- I feel like I've really beaten the horse, so to speak, into the underwear. But, um, <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, no, I totally would be into that, you know. Yeah. Not Um,
0: necessarily like trying to make money out of it, but just maybe like not No, I wanna make money
1: out of it. (laughs) Please, I need money. So you wouldn't
0: (laughs) So you wouldn't want so you wouldn't have to hold onto the laptop. I'm not gonna do it for
1: free. (laughs) <laughs> <Okay>. um,
0: <laughs> because I honestly would love to have some of these videos on the website
1: no so I so this is like Skyler mm-hmm. claims she can't find the videos when I go to my own interface of Facebook this is how you know what a Luddite I am I mean, or maybe I'm not in Skylar. Is. This is what a lady Skylar is. <laughs> she says when she goes on to my Facebook page, maybe you can finally help us with this, she can't find the videos. When I see my Facebook page, it's really obvious. It says your videos, you know, and they're all there. Okay. And I said, her, her, just go to my Facebook page and go to my videos. She couldn't find them.
0: Okay, well, I'm going to put all of them on the page for this podcast. Awesome. I'm going to put them all on the web page. I'm excited yeah.
1: for that. Um, so now you can
0: basically tell Skylar, go to this web page oh, and see perfect. all of them. Anyway,
1: I, know, I know people don't start writing this. I know I could do Do a Vimeo thing and YouTube and all that, I am aware that my husband is a real tech person. I just haven't done that. So don't write me anything about that, please. Okay. Um I'm speaking to the people. Um so no, I mean really my my first love is, you know, doing these goofy things, you know, sort of acting, performing, whatever you want to call it, you know, more than yoga. It's just yoga ended up what I do. Um, okay, so yes and yes, money and haines. Um Oh, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, what, how do you find me? Magoo Yoga in mm-hmm. Philadelphia. M A G U. M A G U. It's mm-hmm. from the cartoon character Mr. Magoo. Named. Really? Yes, because my husband and I—that's our nickname, saying you know which one is more of an idiot than the other. Like, <laughs> oh, you forgot the car keys. What a Magoo, you know. <sighs>
0: amazing
1: yeah i (laughs) I thought it
0: was a Sanskrit.
1: i know i know i was i was we did we were so excited our daughter actually was like that's what you should name i had a really pretentious name like flesh and bone or no bone and breath (laughs) and my daughter was like my 12 year old was like i just i just hate that name she was like i know magu um and unfortunately it is a chinese deity i when i looked it up but she's kind of cool i think she's actually like the deity of weed she's the hemp goddess
2: oh cool yeah
1: so you know she's not yeah. so bad, okay, um, so yeah you can find me there you can find me most first Saturdays of every month here at cool of Williamsburg
2: mm-hmm.
1: teaching master class don't worry you don't have to be the master it's me um, not you it's it's me it's not you I have to leave you um, um, what else uh, I have on my website I did I just have two entries but I did start blogging and it addresses some of these subjects Yeah, you need to do this more for the sure. second one is more about the timeless time thing that we spoke mm-hmm. about and the first one's a little bit about what we kind of already talked about my yeah. past history um but probably a little more articulate since i wrote it down um <laughs> and you know I, so i have my third retreat with Skylar in april to costa rica oh it's a peninsula Yep, Osa Peninsula. Yep, Boca Sombrero. I'm doing a retreat there in February. Oh, my God, yes. I think that, yeah. I'm really... It's so amazing. It's so beautiful. You know what? I just love it. I have to say, I hate selling things, but this is fucking amazing, right? The Osa. It's really incredible. Epic. Epic. And And the
0: private, basically The the wildlife.
1: Oh, my God. I'm not even a surfer at all, and Mm. I get on the board and go fool around out there, you know? Yeah. Skylar is a surfer. Um... Then, and the month before that, I'm doing, like, this fancy retreat with Amy Wren, um, who's a Boston teacher. I've Mm. never been there, but it's kind of luxurious. Um, That's all on my website, MagoYoga.com. Where is that one at? That one is just across from Puerto Vallarta, and it's Mm. called, like, Zinalani. I actually don't even know how to pronounce it. It's really beautiful. I've got lots of pictures on the website. Okay. You know, it's a little. It's much more luxury than the Costa Rican one. So it's a real different thing. It's really yeah. easy to choose from them. Okay. And um, oh, what else can I sell about myself? I really think that's it. I have no teacher trainings coming up, but one day I will do them, and you will. can yell at me about them. You yeah. um, I mean because I said that I don't believe in them, which I don't. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and that's, that's good. all yeah. that's great
0: so then uh, the last thing so I, I, yeah. I one of the resources on the website is what I call the Embodied Philosopher's Library which is basically oh. like a very large annotated bibliography of all kind of the wisdom books that I wish that I had had when Amazing. I first started looking into you know, these teachings. Yeah. Um, so I always ask the people that I interview if they would offer a couple of books that have been really kind of transformative
1: oh, yeah. that
0: maybe the readers would be you know, interested in reading.
1: Totally. Um, yeah, one came right to my head. Uh, Spiritual Midwifery by Ina May Gaskin. And, pro- you know, I think m- nowadays most women know what that is, but I think it's great for men to read it too. And she's like, do you know who she is? She, no, you, I, you, there's no reason why you would. You should, but actually it, it's an amazing book to read. Yeah. It's, um, she's like the guru of childbirth, of natural childbirth, and she started a commune with her husband in the 70s, but because they would do everything at the commune, but because they didn't know how to do it, when the women would give birth, they'd go to hospitals. And they were like, why are we doing this? We're off the grid, basically, but we have to use mainstream hospitals. So she taught herself how to deliver children. And now she studied because if you look at her statistics from the commune, it's called the farm. Um, it is so crazy. I mean, America has the worst stats for childbirth in the developed world than wow. you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, really horrible like our c-section rate i might have gone down a little bit it was like 30 percent right and let's say sweden for example it's like three percent okay again because doctors want to do it because
0: it's easier yeah, that's yeah i what mean I there's heard. so
1: many reasons and it's very heat it can become very heated so yeah. i don't want to yeah. you know in there. this arena i don't <laughs> want to offend anybody but i think that this book is just so beautiful because it's of such a time and mm-hmm it actually really is Vedanta. Yeah. When you read it, it's okay. all Vedanta. And perfect. it's the woman's childbirth is so hidden, just like death, mm. right? And that's what I, I think it's so important for us to look right in the face of childbirth, yeah. right into the pussy, you know? And <laughs> right into the dying face, you know, wow. the last breath, you know?
0: That's a perfect note to end Thanks.
1: on. <laughs> Alex, thank you so much. This has been You're such welcome. an incredible
0: conversation. Like, thank you how, so much. How, so much fun, and it's always, you know, really fun to offer critique of everything around us.
1: Thank you for being so open to it. I could talk to you yeah, forever. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah. we're
0: going to definitely have you back again because this has been so fun. Let's go breathe together. Yeah, let's do it. All okay, right. bye. Thanks, Alex. Bye-bye. Bye.